So we have uh, just returned from not recording possibly the best stuff ever. So I think this is, a, this is a little like when you go golfing and you waste all of your good starts on the driving range. Because I've only got like five good shots a year if I, I don't golf. So welcome to round two of the beginning of the Open I'm Who Is with Lindsay Mollenauer. So Lindsay. Again, apologies. Similar to last, but how do most people know you? Um, I, it's probably because I do their hair, or I know someone who does their hair, or someone, you know, they get their hair done in my salon or a salon I used to work in. So I own 11 Cherry Salon, downtown Des Moines on the west side. You actually, for those who have not been following Oppenheimer as close as they should, you won our community award a few years ago for being the best community location not yet laundering government money. <laughs> you gave us, you gave yeah, us a projection of a few months. I wasn't laundering government money at that time. No subsidies yet, though? Um, no, I've been subsidized now. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I, know. I don't know if we get to actually do uh, double winners anyway, so <laughs> now you're just ineligible. Like every great winner on that, on that one. <laughs> You know? I'm going to have to go for another category next time, I guess. Yeah, we, I mean, to be fair, we haven't issued the ones for this year. We're still struggling with technology. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and we're also struggling with timeliness because that's sort of how we do it. Mm. We just run late. <laughs> Me too. So anyway, if you wake up tomorrow, do anything, location, money, time, experiences, no matter what would you do? All right. I would be not in a year because we just, we discussed previously that those suck, but maybe a teepee or a camper van in the middle of Marfa, Texas, which is a tiny little ranching town that got overtaken by um, artists in the seventies. And now it's one of the minimalist capitals, minimalist art capitals of the world. So I would be there and I would just try to finish a book. That's what I'd be doing. Reading or writing it? Reading. <laughs> no, no. I mean, if, you, if everyone knows you from doing their hair, you might have some great stories. <laughs> yeah, it's hell all, but well, okay. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, um, yeah, let me consider that. I'll get back to you on, the, on, that, on that end of things. But just, just finishing a book would be a huge accomplishment. So, yeah, I'd like to set the bar really low. What's the best book you haven't finished yet? Mm, probably Sapiens. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. I've been recommended that like 20 times and have not even started, so you've done better than I. Mm. Well, I've got, the, I've got the book if you want to borrow it, and I also have the Audible. And, oh, yeah? <laughs> and it's been a while, and I still can't. <laughs> it's, it is good. It's not, it's not that the book is bad. It's... it's Wonderful. You'd love it. Not finishing an audible is a little like not being able to make it through like uh, NPR's like morning edition, right? And <laughs> that is one of my challenges. I'll listen to it while I'm either riding a bike or doing the rowing machine or something and just, I never get it done. I don't know the last time I've actually finished morning edition. Uh, that is my book. Oh, yeah. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> If you could, so apart from uh, making everything like Marfa, mm -hmm. if you could change the world, and you had like three things where you could just like snap your fingers and it's different, like what three things would you do to change the world? All right. So it'd be education, leadership, and then legalizing drugs. Mostly marijuana, maybe some other drugs. So, <laughs> so it solves a lot of fucking problems that we have. I mean, there's, there's a huge racial divide in this country. We're wasting a lot of money um, on policing things that really don't need to be policed. And we're, we're limiting a whole group of entrepreneurs. I mean, they all, they're trying to make money. And I don't know. I don't think marijuana is all that dangerous. And I think there, there's studies to back that up and perhaps some other drugs too. So I just think it's a huge waste of time and taxpayer money and creating a lot of social fucking problems that we don't have, you know, we, we shouldn't have to 
shouldn't have to deal with anymore. So I would, I would legalize, um, marijuana and maybe some other drugs. That'd be my first thing. And then, um, and then education. I don't think, I don't think that we're doing a great job educating kids. Like I don't think that people are, are like smart enough to vote which is, I think that's a, a failure of the education system. So, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, the first thing would be to just dramatically increase teacher salaries, right? So if being a teacher, which is really one of the most important things you could do for society, right, is to, to educate young people. If it was one of the most sought after jobs in America, I think we'd get a lot better teachers and the difference between a good and a bad teacher is, is quite important. And then I would decouple um, uh, property taxes. So property taxes in that community fund the school. And so what we have is we have a poor community that gets shit funding for their school and their school stays shitty and the people in that community stay poor. So we need to do away with that. And every school needs to be, every public school needs to be top notch. Um, and then I would do, you know, I would do mandatory like study abroad programs. Um, because when you are, you know, maybe just for a month, not even a semester, but when you're completely out of your realm, as, as a young person, you learn two things. You learn, first of all, that, you know, your parents aren't going to wipe your ass. Or maybe this new family might wipe your ass in a different way, right? So you have to learn kind of like self-reliance or you have to learn that you're, you're, you have to rely on your own kind of, you know, your own smarts to kind of navigate a new, a brand new situation, right? And then, um, and then the second thing that happens, I think, is that you, you learn how to perspective shift because you, you are surrounded by people um, who are nothing like you and nothing like your, your family, nothing like your friends. And that's a really important thing to learn when you later, you know, grow up and you have to have a job and you have to vote for someone, you know, you need to know that there are different perspectives in the world that your perspective is not reality. It's just one version of reality. And so it, it wouldn't even be a, a program where you'd have to go across the world. Could, you know, you just go, across town um, to a family that doesn't look like you. I think that would be really important for, for students to experience. And, um, you know, and then I think current events should be um, an important part of every day, you know, from probably a, a very young age. Um, and you should be tested on current events and what you, what you know about what's going on in the world right now. And I think there needs to be a greater emphasis on history and global history and real global history, not, you know, the versions probably you and I grew up with. Um, and, um, and also an emphasis on debate, because when you have a, you know, debate teaches you how to think, right? So it teaches you how to hold multiple perspectives um, on a certain situation, you can argue for and against a topic at the same time. Um, I think you uh, you end up with um, uh, a more well-rounded uh, base of knowledge, and you also understand when a future problem or situation arises, you can you can jump over to the other side easier and learn how uh how how to think properly without just getting fucking tunnel vision which is i think what we have now is it's so anyway that brings us to leadership which i think you know you have you know liberal and conservative um uh great separation between those two sides and it's either it's getting more polarized and I don't think any of our leaders are, are really that qualified. Well, I mean, there's quite a few that are qualified, but, um, you know, it used to be that, um, you know, our, our leadership in this country, um, and other countries maybe too, it's, they were smart, you know, they, they were some of the smartest people 
that we could find. And now it's just, it's just whoever got the most money, you know, um, an ethic is like a separation of church and state. And I think we need to think about, you know, a separation of corporations and state in that same way. Um, so, and I don't know what the solution, you probably have better ideas than I do about this, but, um, I think we've, we've got to, we've got to change the way that we elect our leaders dramatically. I don't think we're getting the right people in positions of leadership and we're, we're going down, uh, a polarized, power-hungry, uh, power-driven path that leads us to a bunch of confusion and uh, stagnation. Okay. So, leaders who are educated and do drugs. Yeah. That's a solution. They absolutely should do I think that's a yeah. I think that's a good uh mesh of priorities. I do, actually as you as you spoke, I do have like eight thousand things I want to but I think we're gonna make fifteen minutes, so I'm not gonna jinx it and I'm gonna hold on. Okay. That's a pantheon. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'll look that up later so we don't kill the fifteen minutes. <laughs> Most innovative failure. It was what? your most innovative. Was your most innovative oh, failure? Oh, sorry, sorry. My, oh, my most, <laughs> my most innovative failure. Oh shit! I didn't think about that one. Um, oh, I've had so many um, failures, not necessarily innovations. Um, it was probably when I got I got fired. Um, when I worked in New York city, it was my dream salon, my dream job, finally saved up enough money. I was 24 and I moved there and I was just going to take over the fucking world. Right. And I was doing really good and I got promoted quick. And then I was there about a year and they pulled me in the back room and they said, you no longer work here. Um, we, we think you're arrogant and you're a one man show and you're not a good fit. You're not a good team player. And the clients really love you. You do great at hair. We know you're, you're great with clients, but the staff doesn't like you and the educators don't like you. And it's, you know, we feel like we're going to read about you in the paper someday, but this isn't the right environment for you. And that was like the most devastating thing that ever happened to me. And I couldn't get out of bed for a week because no one had ever called me arrogant before or said, you know, any, any of those things to me. It was like, uh, I had to completely uh, refigure out my, my self identity because it, it was like a complete shock. So that caused me to, um, the innovate. Okay. So the, that's the failure. So the innovation, <laughs> the innovation I think came from both acknowledgement that a lot of things that they said was actually true. That was the hard part. And then also, um, having to find a new uh a new strength within myself so um so eventually i ended up opening my own salon for people who were more like me that was you know it's a chair rental but it's hip it's collaborative but it's independent and that's what 11 cherry is and i think that's what finally led me on that path was like the realization that um that uh, yeah, I, I didn't belong there. You know, it, it wasn't a good fit for me and I wasn't necessarily a team player. I was a independent person. And then, and then to take that and be like, okay, you know, I can work on being less arrogant, um, which is still a challenge. Um, if you called but... that from New Yorkers, it was pretty freaking impressive. <laughs> Unless this was like actually Connecticut. In... No, this was Manhattan. Wow. Uh, so that's impressive. <laughs> that's almost an innovative failure in itself. In uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could spin it that way. Um, that's my but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just, it was the, um, it was like, okay, what, what are out of these things? Like, what are the things I can work on and, and improve and, you know, broaden myself and, um, and learn from and really improve and, 
Um, and then what are the things that I need to be like, you know what? Fuck, fuck that. I, I am, I am really good at hair and I didn't fit in because they actually, you know, they weren't that committed to the craft affair. They're more committed to, you know, getting clients in really, really fast. So I'm like, okay, what can I do that's special and important? And, um, and maybe there are other people like me. So maybe, maybe my path is to find other people who need an environment in the same way that I need an environment. So, and that's why I think 11 Cherry is like, it's, it's growing pretty, pretty fast right now. And I'm pretty proud of it and I'm looking for new stylists and, um, and, uh, I like, I like what we've done and I think that, um, I think that, that, yeah, that, that failure turned out to be one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Fuck. I can't believe I'm saying that. (laughs) Well, but 11 cherry isn't just the salon part, right? You've also got, some great artists in there, artuariums in there. Um, yeah. And it, you have the whole North half now, don't you? I mean, just as a quick, for someone who hasn't been there because they are derelict in their Des Moines duties, what are they missing <laughs> at 11 Cherry at the whole? So um, we have Artuarium, which is probably the best small business in town. They have continued to impress me every freaking day I've worked with them. So I, I kind of snuck in the back door in a sense of that, that building it started off being just a furniture store. And, um, the owner let me put a salon chair back there. And then over time he decided to close the furniture store. So I took over the lease and then built some studios. So Artuarium has, um, a very successful plant. They're a very successful plant shop and they hold host a lot of events, um, art, art themed events. Um, and then, uh, I also rent to Farah Erdem, who's a phenomenal fine artist and is also a professor of architecture at, at, um, Iowa state. And I started off with two other, um, businesses in there as well, a web designer and a photographer, but they, they, their businesses grew. So they, they actually grew out of the space and they needed to find, find a different um, space for them. So Artrium took over one of those studios and then the salon expanded and took over the other studio. And then we also have a community space where we have dance parties and um, an event called Headliner, which is a hair themed event and um, all sorts of stuff. I didn't realize Solar's moved out. Interesting. Huh. Mm-hmm. See, well... Yeah, he added employees, and he's overlooking the sculpture garden now. Speaking of uh, tax credits, why is, he's he's in the Come and Go building? No, no, no. <laughs> he overlooks the Come and Go building. Yeah, he's like on a hill, kind of above that. So, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> okay, I think, and I may have just done the clock wrong, but we may have made it under fifteen minutes. This will be to review on the clock. However. If you have time, I've got a thousand questions for overtime. So this will be the hard stop, mm. which puts us in the overtime. It's a pretty easy transition. <laughs> Being in the hair business with the world of COVID, mm. I guess, what's it like? I mean, it seems like you've been in limbo for a good bit. How is it now? I mean, you're, I mean, when you're meaning subsidization, you mean like PPP? I mean, how is it, how has this whole experience been? Um, well, would you, which, which direction should I go down first? Like the, kind of the financial business side or the, the social, like client, client side? We're trying to know about you. So it's, you tell us the direction that's most interesting to you. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Well, um, also I'll start, I'll start with the, uh, the business side. Um, so it, it, so when we got shut down, so the thing is, is, uh, you know, the way that viruses travel is really bad for hairdressers and clients. And, um, it's, uh, it's, it's akin to like dentistry and, um, you know, other services where you're like face to face with a client for an extended period of time. So there's lots of potential for 
exposure. So when we were shut down, I was really grateful because um, I don't know, I think saving lives, lives is important and um, <laughs> slight understanding. You know, but some people disagree with that, but, but you know, you got to do what you can in the community. And um, so, uh, so getting shut down, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, my, my business is, um, I have an LLC and an S corp and then I've, I have chair renters. Um, who pay rent and then I have income from my own share. So I was, I was able to get unemployment through my S corp cause I'm my own employee. And then I was also able to get a PPP loan, um, discovered that, um, the big banks are, were, were terrible to work with. So I went with a small banker. So, um, so yeah, I think I might be leaving my big bank permanently for those reasons. Um, uh, the, the subsidization was chaotic, confusing. Um, and, uh, the main, the main problem, Mm, I can't choose a man. There's, there were a lot of problems with it that, you know, you know, you know, they, they want to get money out as soon as possible. So I get that there's a lot of chaos, but I think there are simple common sense things that they could have done to structure these programs in a, in a, uh, just a more streamlined fashion. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, I mean, it's almost like planning is important. You know, it, that's a revolutionary idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like if you thought about something ahead of time, you might actually come up with a good way to deal with it. I mean, wow. Like, that's, that's mind-blowing. <laughs> I mean, we haven't done it for a few years in this country, so I mean, like, maybe we'll do it again <laughs> someday. <Exactly. laughs> Exactly. So anyway, so it's, um, it's basically a cluster of... It was, it was a cluster. It was very confusing and scary. Um, so anyway, we made, we made it through, uh, you know, the dark part. And then, so then to go back to, um, go back into the salon and start taking clients again, you know, you, you expect that there's some guidance based on science that um, you know, the Department of Public Health or the Cosmetology Board would give us. And the guidance um, was very vague. There were, there were two documents that were uh, specific. Um, one was broad things. The other one talked about, you know, wearing masks. And in one paragraph, it said they were required. In the next paragraph, it said that they uh, were recommended. And um, then face shields should be provided. But you know, provided, I mean, what the fuck does that even mean? You know, if you have a face shield, like, do I provide a face shield for who and why and when should they ever wear one? So um, there were a lot of problems with trying to figure out what rules were, uh, I mean, it, it was basically left up to the business side, which, which rules were important and, um, and what, what you were going to do. Cause, uh, you know, I, I actually emailed quite a bit the, the Department of Public Health and finally got an uh, answer from the, from the director who said all of the guidance was strongly recommended. None of it was mandatory. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just going to roll the dice and try to do the best I can, you know. So, um, so it's like in the salon, you know, it's, it's a little weird. The service isn't great. You know, you, you have to wear a mask. You can't have a complimentary beverage. Don't get a blow dry. You don't get, um, sometimes you don't get a shampoo. Um, you know, we try to get the clients in and out as fast as possible so that their, their potential for exposure is minimized and the, the number of surfaces that they touch and the number of surfaces that we touch is minimized as much as possible. And everyone washes their hands as soon as they enter the building. We wash our hands between each client. We have like, you know, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was just a matter of, um, you know, me like figuring this out with a lot of help from people who I trust and 
uh, people who know more about this than me, and then watching how other states were handling this. Um, for instance, New York put out a 14-page document just for hairstylists and barbers, um, and that was super helpful uh, to look at. But of course, that didn't come out until we had already opened. But it, luckily, I mean, a lot of the things I'm doing are the things that, that New York is requiring. Um, so yeah, the main thing is just to, uh, you know, prevent the spread of COVID and hair comes secondary to that right now. I mean, you know, I guess hair, hair is, it's not as essential as your life. Right. So. Unless you're Samson. I mean, right. <laughs> that'd be like the one. Yeah, the Greek god who's all yeah, the, the strength was in his hair. Is he a Greek god or was he was he Bible? Was oh, he in the Bible or was he Greek? No. Oh, I don't I don't know. I think he was Oh, yeah. Either way, it's mythical. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really matter, I guess. The uh one of my Mr. Pearson from Central Academy, when my brother was uh, a student of his, once said, no great work of fiction has ever been written by a committee, to which my brother said, well, the Bible, uh, to which Mr. Pearson said, fair point, and uh, <laughs> we moved on. That sounds like something he would say. <laughs> it's, it's definitely in his historical wheelhouse. <laughs> it touches a little bit on the leadership piece that's very interesting. I mean, like, for example, school guidance in this state got one page whereas new york had like 70 pages i'm sorry uh illinois had 70 pages of how we open it how we open school it's been mm-hmm. interesting to see through you know the ppp program didn't need to be as shambolic as it was right i mean it didn't That's need a great word yeah, it didn't need to be a complete mess. I mean, if you had individuals who were thinking about at least a plan A, let alone a B, C, or D, and then mm-hmm. wanting to step up and say, yeah, this one's important. We're not going to put no one but beef packers on our COVID team. We might put a scientist or two, and we might require masks, right? I mean, I. I went to the high V today and each time I saw someone out of their mask, I was like taking it back from it. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, what's the point? Well, the mask is your personal liberty, right? It's your, Apparently. it's your personal choice, right? Which actually doesn't make sense because as we understand liberty, it's your liberty ends at the, at the moment that you cause harm to someone else. And this is why we have, you know, speed limits on the highways and drunk driving laws and every other fucking law that we have in the world. I mean, this is wearing a mask is just a new one to add to the list of things we already know that we should be doing to keep other people safe. So yeah, I'm very frustrated with the lack of masking. It is an interesting political wedge issue there's a great on uh npr morning edition which i did not finish uh but did did start there's a great discussion on the demographic shift within the republican party and its challenges of going whiter and older and the unsaid part racist um but this whole more importantly, doubling down on these are items that could have been pieces that we coalesce around with different approaches. And now it's like, yep, you're one side or the other. And masks mm-hmm. is very interesting. It's this one side or the other. Yeah. It's like either you're a masker or you're, I don't know, hopefully in the 18%. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Mm. One of your solutions, though, which is a study abroad piece, which I did think was very interesting, was um, I've been a very big supporter, and uh, you know, Mike Franken, who was the Senate candidate who uh, lost out to um, Teresa Greenfield, who's going to who's running against Tony Ernst. When the mm. the National Service piece, I've always been a 
big fan of saying you should do some sort of national service. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it's interesting that we've been in a phase where service apparently means learning to kill people. Like there should be other services, right? Like there should be AmeriCorps, which seems like a good service, right? Teaching people, maybe policing, maybe more importantly, community, you know, community mediators, you know, someone that can, uh, public health support persons, but you have to do it at least 500 miles away. Mm. Like you have to just at least leave. Mm-hmm. You can come back all you want. That's fine. But you have to leave for a year. Yeah. I've always had this sort of idea that, you know, rich people aren't going to want to do it anyway. So as long as they pay for at least 10 people to do it, fine. You can buy out. You've just got to pay <laughs> for 10 others. Um, I suppose now with the 1% being the 1%, you need to be able to pay for a hundred others, but you can buy out if you pay for a hundred other people. Right. But just leave, get somewhere else, get a new perspective. Perspective. As you're identifying. Yeah. 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 Perspective is such a huge, um, it's a huge missing piece of the puzzle uh, when it comes to young people growing up. Yeah. This is a cut against Sankany. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Phew. No, Ankeny, Ankeny had a really good school. We had great teachers. There were a ton of programs. There's great sports. Like there was an art club. There's show choir. There are all these things. And, you know, facilities were great and the books were great. And I learned a lot and I had a great experience there. And then I grew up and I learned that not everyone got that education. And, and so first, and the, my first thought was like, oh, wow, you, you don't know where the state of Delaware is. Or like, oh, you you don't know like what you 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 think Iowa is actually Idaho, and I'm like, what school do you go to? And then my next thought was, wow, I didn't learn any fucking thing about any other part of the world either. I I have <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea about any other culture other than mine, and. Um, I had a very sheltered and very, uh, um, a very sheltered and very safe upbringing. So I'm thankful for that. But I, I also think that, I think that we can just do more for every, every school. I think there's, there's more to be gained in that experience. Yeah. Is this is a quick side note on Idaho. We actually have someone working with us uh, from Idaho. And so we sort of joke that our headquarters is at uh, Du Boise, Ottawa. And that <laughs> way we just cover all concerns. Yeah. Have you ever been to Boise actually? Huh? It's freaking cool. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually really cool. It's very, very similar to Des Moines in a lot of ways. The downtown, the, there's, no, there's no hill once you get to the center of town. So the capital complex it's just flatter and it doesn't feel as big and prominent. Uh, uh-huh. I think, I feel like the Capitol building itself is smaller, but it's like, it's right in there. There's great restaurants and bars. It was actually really night right on a river. I mean, it's actually a really fun little town. You know, they've got their own little walkie and they got their own little Ankeny. You know, they got their walkie and Meridian. They've got their Ankeny, which I'm sure is somewhere. It, mm-hmm. It's basically Meridian too. They got like, they merged them, mm-hmm. but it was actually a really fun town. And the airport actually has free Wi-Fi sponsored by U of I, except the University of Idaho, uh, which is also these same colors, which makes me think maybe the airport needs to step their game up and have the University of Iowa pay for the freaking Wi-Fi so I don't have to keep (laughs) going. Only people who've seen my Facebook feed uh once or twice every week while I've been traveling have noticed anything about my Boingo irritation at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) On the perspective piece, there's a perspective thing within, and I guess I clarify this in the white hair industry, which you brought to my attention a number of years ago, which is actually really, really interesting has always been one of the pieces that has been most intriguing about a lot of the really cool stuff you do. So when you said, you know, most innovative failure, I had like a list of 10 that I was thinking you might come with, right? Mm -hmm. But you made a point 
a number of years ago about how 90% of the practitioners in the white hair industry are women and 90% of the wealth is held by men. As in like mm. finding a hair product with a woman's name on it that started mm. as a hair product, right? Not like Mary Kay or L'Oreal or something that like became hair from lotion or skin or body soap. Mm. There's like none. Yeah. And I never really thought about the fact I could not think of one female named product. It was a hair product in that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I ironically don't spend a ton of time on my hair unless, unless her name is Prell. I don't entirely know a lot of uh, female names, but um, that was very interesting. And I actually, was almost more interesting in some ways was in the black hair industry, it's completely inverted. There is not a women's hair product without a woman's name on it. Mm -hmm. But both of those in general, Mm -hmm. the inequity of who's doing it and who owns it was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The hair industry is uh, perhaps maybe that in churches, like the most segregated industry that there is. And also, uh, um, you know, sexist, really. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like the, you know, yeah, ninety ninety percent or more of hair practitioners and on the cosmetology side are women, and yet um, when you when you climb the ranks and you become a hair ed- education director, or you have a you're a brand owner, or you're a distributor. Um, or any of the positions of power, even a salon owner, um, uh, those are disproportionately positions that are held by men. And then, uh, and then when it comes to, you know, white hair and black hair, that's another huge discussion we could talk about too. Um, and it seems that, um, you know, there's a whole section, uh, for, uh, people of color that and they they seem to be very much marginalized but in the higher you you go up in the ladder the more marginalized that they are um, so for instance at a beauty show you know you might have three days of seminars and the seminars for textured hair or what we used to call ethnic hair which is a really dumb word because everyone has an ethn- ethnicity um, you know, those were always held like on the last day when everyone's already going home and they're in a, a, a wing, you know, in the conference center that's really far away from everyone else. And it's by the, you know, by the, the foot files and, and that's really fucked up. You know, it's like, it's like to do hair for people of color is a special extra thing um, that is outside the realm of what is normal. Right. Um, and, but then you, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that I could say about that. I mean, then, then you think about, you know, you know, would you want someone to do your hair who doesn't have your type of hair? And then you can see how the cycle is self perpetuating. And, and maybe, maybe that's okay. Have we accepted that this is okay? Like, is it, I mean, if you were a person of color, would you really, do you care to go to a white salon to get your hair done? Is this a problem we should solve? You know? Um, when I lived in, when I lived in DC, I did go to the barbershop down the street one day. And uh, number one, they all looked at me like I was completely freaking crazy when I walked in. This was a long time ago, DC you now have like white people walking dogs at 11 o'clock picking up trash on 14th street and you, which is like blew my mind. You know, it's like, I don't know what we're all doing here right now, but whatever. Um, but when I walked in, they were both confused as to if I was in the right place and mm-hmm. then no one had any scissors. And so they were trying to sculpt my hair with uh, clippers to which point I was like, okay, I'm, I'll drive to Bethesda. I, I hear what you're saying. Fine. So, so, so I'm instead drive to Bethesda and let, cost cutters clip, cut my hair <laughs> yeah but the wealth inequity is actually very interesting like even just within yeah. the white industry the the, yeah. the sex and lesbian is in 
is impressive. I mean, forgetting just the racial issues, how is it you can end up with such inequity gender-based when it is just a 10 to one both ways? Yes. How does that happen? How do you stop that? Yeah. Um, well, there, so I'll tell you a story. So this is, this is the moment. I think I've told you this story. So I, this is the moment that I realized that, uh, that, uh, that there was a huge problem that was really difficult to solve. So, um, I always, I, I, I've always been trying to, you know, achieve the next level in my career. So I'm at a party in New York City, base hotel after fashion week, and all the best hairdressers in the world that are in town are there. And then also it's, it's networking for distributors and everything. And so I'm there and I'm talking to I'm talking to uh, someone who I admire very much, and he is the leader of a kind of a social media, not just even a social media, just a hair dresser media conglomerate. And um, he created a document several years ago that really inspired me. So I was eager to get to know him, and I just ha so happened I happened to be standing next to him, and I was talking to this other gentleman, and who was a, also a pretty well known hairdresser. Um, and, um, so us three are chatting and then another, a new guy comes into the circle and <clears throat> the guy who I really wanted to talk to introduces him to me. And the guy says, Hey, I think I know you. Did you go to that show or were you on stage or something? And, and I'm, I, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I know this guy? How, how have I met him? And, um, and then the guy who I'm really interested to talk to says to him, Oh no, no, she's not the one you want to talk to. It's him. She's just pretty. <laughs> and then, and then we all laughed because, <sighs> because it was, it was meant as a joke and it was meant as a compliment. And he definitely was not trying to put me into, uh, you know, he, he wasn't trying to diminish me because I was a woman. It was, this is just how we are. This is just how humans are, right? And, uh, and then I looked around the room and I realized for the first time I was surrounded by men. You know, this is a hair event, uh, a female-based industry you know fashion week right mostly and, and i'm surrounded by by men and i thought huh there is not some there you can't just say okay well women are choosing to stay home with their kids women are choosing to have families women are choosing not to advance their careers at the same level that men are and that's why women aren't here it's there's more than just a the like a biological or a, or a socially conditioned difference between women and men there is something there beneath the surface that's really hard to like it's hard to it's hard to like pull into the light and like root out and then it made me think about the medical field and how there's quite a few um more nurses who are women than doctors right and medical administrators you know so again positions you know at the kind of the higher ranks of the of the medical industry mostly held by men um and i it made me think about the education industry as well a lot of teachers are women but the principals are men superintendents are men uh school board is you know it so I think it's, you know, I think it's exemplary in the hair industry, but I think we, we see it everywhere in life. And um, what the fuck? I don't know, Chris. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't exactly know how to fix it other than, you know, to keep doing what we're doing. Um, yeah, keep doing what we're doing. I think the Me Too movement, you know, which 
was really mostly about, um, you know, sexual assault, you know, started off, but I think it's, 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 it's really emboldened, emboldened, um, women to, um, to step into positions of power and feel comfortable there. And, um, it's just going to, I think just take some getting used to for both women and men. What is the percentage or breakdown between heterosexual versus homosexual men within the ownership of the hair industry? I mean, is there a similar disparity there? Mm, that's interesting. I do feel like um, I I do feel like there are definitely more an inordinate inordinate number of um, straight men in positions of power than there should be based on the the overall you know, numbers of homosexual, heterosexual people who are in the industry. Yeah. So of the three, so the three dudes in the circle and you in that circle, like what were they all heterosexual, homosexual? What, what was the breakdown there? I mean, what's it? Um, they were all straight. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seeing hair was trying to justify it as, you know, something else but no you're you're killing me on my only other thought there that's very interesting how so for a lot of them is just business opportunity they're owning the opportunity that's it yeah 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 i don't know i don't know we have work to do It is an intriguing uh, – there's a lot of discussion now, which I think – I'm hopeful there's been a lot of very interesting uh, revival and interest in Malcolm X, what he was actually saying. Because mm. uh, I can't say I've always – there's been a lot of pieces of the Nation of Islam that I may not still – be comfortable with saying, you know, yeah, I think that one's right. However, <clears throat> there was a lot in the arguments of when you're asking for equality from the other side, <laughs> how, how is that right? Why not just own your own thing? Why not just actually build your own, invest in your own, and build your own side? I wonder in that you see that in any of these power imbalances, right? Mm-hmm. Why ask for a handout from the one side as opposed to building your own? Um, yet you still have, there's a systemic mm-hmm. power imbalance that makes it very hard to get access to own your own. Yeah. I'm not sure what the, there's a clear, it's a chicken and egg thing. I'm not, I really have not wrapped my head around how you solve that. Yeah. Cause how, how do you like in the hair industry, how would you actually do that? How would you take cracks at that? I mean, is it really just sort of, I, I know a lot of you've looked into a lot of things, if I'm understanding correctly of really building your own products or building your own uh, pieces that you can actually market and sell and own and fully own the underlying assets of what you, the underlying assets of the, everything from the capes to the hair products to the, um, well, to be fair, Knight does great stuff. Sorry. (laughs) Unless you're just white labeling their stuff. (laughs) Is there another way to do it? I mean, is that, is that really what it takes is you just have to have enough people. Yeah. I, uh, I think, uh, I think, um, I think, um, women in general need to know that that is an option and that it's not as difficult as they may think it is that the person they see on stage is not that different than them. And the, the person who developed that product is not that much smarter, maybe not smarter, maybe maybe not 
smarter at all than than them and that the courage and the bravery it takes to take risks like that to to you know drive to the next level is within them already so and then to um to 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 know that is actually i feel like it's uh it's just something that it's kind of beat out of us not that's a bad way to say it but like growing up as a woman you're not really um encouraged when you try to lead because it's often it's seen as bossy you know it's seen as bossy and um you know uh it's not it really encouraged in women so i think um that's a problem that that we all as a society when we're raising kids i think we need to work on that and um if you're already grown and you're a woman i think you need to recognize that you're um your desires and your beliefs are really not as difficult to achieve as you might have been taught that they were or they're uh they're worthy uh, a worthy thing to do um and then i think it would help to have men who are in positions of power advocate for other women i think that's a, a great way to kind of you know um take a shortcut um you know i've building my space i've dealt with a lot of um contractors who are mostly men and i find it interesting that when i speak to them and ask them a question i get a response that's very different than when my partner toby would speak to them and ask them the same question um and uh i think just in general i think um you know I think we wonder like, oh, is she, does she really need that? Or is she just being whiny? You know, she asked me to do this one thing, but she's not going to know if I don't do it. I think that's the feeling like, oh, now, oh, she's calling me and now she's ragging on me because I got to do this thing. I think that's, that's how men respond to women in positions of power often. Whereas if a man said, no, I need, I need this thing and I need it done this way. I think a guy, a, a man is more likely to be like, okay, he needs the thing done. And he needs it done this way. If that makes any sense. But I've also had to learn how to rephrase um, the way I, I speak. So it's, it's not just, it's not like men are holding us back and that's the only problem. I think, I think, um, I held myself back as well. I was also very much afraid to have tough conversations when I'm dealing with these con contractors, cause I'm afraid that I will get a pushback that I don't know how to deal with. So I also have to, I have to learn just as much as everyone else you know so and a friend would often order in restaurants and say uh you know may i have and she had a mentor who said no 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 no, hon she said i would like mm. and it is very interesting some of those very subtle little pieces of i would like x please opposed to may i have please mm. um those subtle power dynamics, which is, I mean, obviously, as you, as you know, I have a uh, daughter who now that I'm actually trying to say this, I'll feel like a J for not remember. She's seven now. Mm -hmm. I've always identified that I hear six to nine is that time period where oftentimes uh, girls switch from believing they can do anything to shortening the horizon of their potential. Uh, so it's actually been aggressively on my mind of how do we fundamentally rephrase all of those accidental limiters mm -hmm. that we put in front of her. Um, mm -hmm. I'm reminded as you're speaking, my mom, who, you know, her great, her aunt was a, one of the early engineers at Iowa State graduating in 66. Like there's no other women there besides her. And my mom, when she got out of Michigan, um, in 80 or 81, um, still very few women. And so at Iowa State, she went up and helped set up this female engineer-only floor in the towers where they would run like a fraternity and share tests 
and do study groups together. And there's one whole floor that's just women engineers. Well, their test scores went up like significantly after a few years, the point where this university said, well, this is an unfair advantage. We have to shut this down, Mm -hmm. which was the last time she ever gave one hour to Iowa state was when they went and killed the engineering women's floor because it was actually producing results. Wow. And I now hear the Iowa state president who's now a woman speak about things that they want to change at Iowa state. And I still don't see that appreciation of the fundamental power and balance disruption, which disappoints me. Um, Simpson college uh, hired a new president who is a labor lawyer by origin who has run a institution that is primarily online education, which right now is possibly the best hire you could have accidentally ever made because this was made before the COVID thing happened. She's possibly the most impressively perfect pick they could ever have. And the first thing they say is our first female president. Who gives a shit? She's so completely qualified in every other category. And that's what you put on the marketing, which I, I, I fear myself reverting into some of those subtle limiters as I'm trying to raise my daughter. I don't know how you fix that. Yeah. Well, I think you're doing the right thing. I mean, there are stages of, uh, there, there's stages of growth, right? So like, like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it would be very appropriate to say, to introduce her as the first female, because that was, that would be revolutionary, you know, but now we're in a different stage where it should be normalized. It it shouldn't even, the gender shouldn't even really be, you know, thought about. It's just, this is a human being who's done all these amazing things and that's what you want to talk about. So yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure entirely the point of these was to solve every one of the world's problems. I mean, I'm sure we got about 70% of them done. <laughs> Lindsay, thank you for talking with us tonight. Hopefully we can uh, have everyone together and hand out uh I still owe you an unbroken trophy. (laughs) I think I was the one who broke it. (laughs) I will actually sell the story on record. No, (laughs) what happened was we're sitting there at the lift and uh, Dwala had a group group came in Mm -hmm. and I put the trophies down. Again, for those who haven't seen the trophies yet, they are styrofoam from Michael's that I put together toothpicks and uh, Gorilla Grew. Gorilla glue. And so they're garbage, but they're exciting. I mean, they're, after- they're beautiful. The shape, the form is wonderful. I, I like them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something to aspire to. Mm-hmm. So this freaking Dwala group is sitting up there, and one of them just like picks them up and like bangs it off the other and breaks the top. And I'm, I go over and it's like, dude, the fuck? are you doing right? He's like, Oh, well, I just didn't know. I was like, like, what are you five? So like you pick up a glass and like throw it till it breaks. I mean, like what, (laughs) what was the idea here? Uh And of course he had none. And (laughs) I won't get into the rest of my Dwala pieces, but no, (laughs) they broke your award. And it really fucked me off. <laughs> it was like, that was expensive styrofoam, dickhead. But I'll get you a fixed one as soon as we can get out and meet in person once, once the COVID stops getting us. So anyway, Lizzie Molinar, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Chris. All right.